Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. Why we're talking about the simple gospel is because we believe that the gospel can really transform your life. Now, many of us, if you're like me, as I was growing up in my walk with God, it, it was so hard to see how this gospel message that saved me from my sin, forgiven me of my sins, and uh, gave me this love that I've never experienced before, that how in the world is it changing and working in my life? Now, the reality is this, that many of us still struggle with sin. All of us do. And there are things from the past that continues to haunt us. There are things that we thought that we overcame, but now even in this pandemic during the COVID-19 that many of us went back to some of the old things that we struggled with. And so when we think about this, we're like, well, how do I live this Christian life? Is the gospel really good news for me? Is it really good news that I can share with others to tell them that as God transformed my life, that he could transform your life? And so as we're starting in chapter 6, we have to understand that he's building up this whole argument that not a single person in this world is free from guilt and that person is not under the wrath of God because the Bible tells us that all of us have fallen short of the glory of God, that all of us are sinners because we were born out of the first man, which is Adam. And because of that, we have the sinful nature that's within us. So he was talking about and making sure that all of us understood that we have fallen short of God's glory and what he demands from us. Then he goes into this whole idea of justification by faith. That it's not by what you do, but it's what has been done for us through Jesus Christ. And that's the good news. That we cannot be righteous by ourselves. And just think about some of your friends. Think about some of your colleagues. Think about some of your classmates. Anyone you talk to, you can even go on the street and ask them the simple question about this idea of how to get to heaven. And almost inevitably, everyone will, if they believe there is a heaven, every single person, a lot of them will say what? They will say that it's all about what you do or what you don't do. So it's us trying to reach up to God. This is why Christianity is unique. This is the reason why Christianity is different from all other religions. Because Christianity says that we could not reach up to God. Not through our good works, not through the things that we try to earn God's favor with, there's nothing that we can do. And I gave that illustration of just sitting, standing right on the pier at TST and trying to jump over uh, Victoria Harbor to the other side in Admiralty or Wan Chai, and you realize that we will all fall short. Some of us a little bit further, some of us will be going a little bit less than that, but all of us will fall short. And that's why God needed to reach down to us. And that came through this, his son, Jesus Christ. And the more you begin to understand this gospel message, that it's not just forgiveness of sins, but it's this whole fuller picture of the gospel, of the kingdom of God, you will begin to realize that when you live your life in light of this gospel message that many of us have experienced, that it could genuinely transform you from the inside out. I want to start off uh, this morning just with a question, and I'm speaking to many of us who are believers in Jesus Christ, maybe some of us who are still seeking, maybe you could answer this as well. 
I'm just wondering how many of us have ever felt the tension or if you want to look at it, just the frustration of Christianity because a lot of the rules that it's based on do's and don'ts. Now, if you're like me, wherever you are in your spiritual journey, you'll come to that realization that there are a lot of things that the Bible says that we ought to do. And there are a lot of things that the Bible talks about that we should not do. And what happens early on in your journey, in your Christian life, you begin to realize that you, you are more sinful than you thought. Because when you begin to understand the law or the Bible and the things that it teaches, you realize that you re- there are a lot of things you did not know. And it's, it's really interesting when I talk to different people and interact with different people, or, or there might be a group of people, and, you know, they're believers, they love Jesus Christ, and all of a sudden something happens, and they go, oh, sh- beep, you know, you got to beat them out. And they're like, and they catch themselves, they're like, oh. I mean, but before then, they, they had a potty mouth. They were just like kind of going off. And, but then they realized, oh, in the book of Ephesians and the book of Colossians and many other passages in the Bible, even in the Gospels, it talks about it's not what goes into a person that makes them unclean, but what comes out. It says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. And some of us, we think that swearing is like a really cool thing. <laughs> you know, it makes you smarter. There's articles that talk about people who swear are smarter. So you're not that smart, so you just decide to swear, and hopefully that will make you smarter. I don't know. And so what happens is that you realize, oh, I'm not supposed to be swearing because it really doesn't, shouldn't come out of a person who believes in Jesus Christ. Book of James, as we talked about the other last, uh, I think last week. That how can praises and cursing come out of the same mouth to those who are followers of Jesus Christ? So you begin to realize, man, I, I got to stop doing that. And you begin to think about all these things in your life that you're like, you know what? Like, there's a lot of do's and don'ts. Let me share a little bit of my journey. Uh, when I first became a Christian, I mean, the, the whole thing about God's love, God's forgiveness, it was awesome. It, it really impacted my life. I remember that moment that I received Jesus Christ, like tears were streaming down my eyes, knowing that there is a God who will forgive me of everything that I have done and that accepts me unconditionally. It really impacted my life. But the problem was that when I started this early journey in my walk with God, that I began to miss out on the very thing that God was trying to do in my life, which was trying to develop this relationship with me. But I made it about the do's and don'ts. And as soon as I began to do that, I realized I couldn't do a lot of the do's and I couldn't stop doing a lot of the don'ts. And so because of that, I just gave up. In fact, I kind of fell away. And it wasn't until I recommitted my life to Christ. And guess what I did? I went to then the other extreme and just tried a little bit harder to try to live this Christian life and not to do certain things and to do certain things. And you know what it began to do in my life? Because I tried really hard. I got spiritually proud, thinking that I was somebody when I really wasn't that person. And in many ways, it was only the grace of God that I was able to do anything. But I took credit for it because I tried really hard. Uh, I remember in that moment, as I thought I was growing and things were going great, once again, you start getting confronted with things inside your heart, desires, things that maybe you're like, where is this coming from? 
And sometimes you tend to slack off in your walk with God. And so different temptations and different things come into your life. And in that whole process, I realized it's not about me. There, I, I cannot try to fight the sin on my own. And I began to experience what it really means to be dependent on God and learning how to trust in Him. And even when I fell, that instead of wallowing in my sin and in my failure, that God sees me as His son, not a slave, but as a son. And so then I began to trust in Him more and my relationship with God became deeper. And in that deeper relationship, I began to find new freedom. Freedom to be who I am. Freedom to be able to experience and even express things that the way God made me. But this is the problem. I realized that as I began to express myself more, because I'm now free in Jesus Christ, because not because I, I'm licensed to do whatever I want to do, but because of what He has paid for me on that cross, that should have been my cross, it filled me up with so much joy, and I, I just remember, I was like, this is the life that I want to live. But then here's the problem. As soon as I began to experience that, I'm like, I'm going to grow up my hair. Now, I, I know what some of you are thinking, what hair? But there was a time when I had a whole locks of hair. There's a long hair. So I just said, I'm going to grow up my hair. Uh, those of you who don't know, I played uh, football or soccer. And so whenever these soccer players had long hair back in the 80s and 90s, they had longer hair. Not, not now. They're all like cut really well and all that kind of stuff. But back in the day, they had long hair. And when they ran really fast, it looked like a horse. The hair was just gliding in the wind. And I said, I want that. So I grew out my hair. And I remember when I grew out my hair, there were some people in, in my inner circle and also the people that I was in the church community, they said, you got to cut your hair. I mean, I, I was just thinking, why do I need to cut my hair? You know, so I was arguing about the Nazareth vow, how they don't cut their hair. And all. Jesus had long hair. I think I saw that one picture when he looked like this. And I was trying to argue why it's okay to have long hair or why it's okay, even if you have long hair, that you're still saved and you can still love Jesus. But they wouldn't have anything of it. So in my own insecurity and in my own doubts, I, I, I cut my hair. And ever since then, I have not seen that much hair on my head. I remember another incident where uh, back in, it was just probably 1991, 1991, in just at, at the turn of that decade, in the 90s. I decided one day, I don't know, I just woke up one day and I said, because back then in church, because I was presiding or I was leading praise, I was doing something. Back then in the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s, well, in, in my church tradition I was a part of, on Sunday, you bring your best, so you got to wear your suit. So I was constantly wearing a suit every single Sunday. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think that's a good thing, showing honor and respect to God. There's all that kind of stuff. But I remember one day I just woke up and I said, man, I'm tired of wearing these suits. So I decided, and before it was in and before it was fashionable, because this is the early 90s now, I just started to wear jeans, jeans, and then instead of putting on a tie, I decided not to put a tie, just put on like one of those, you know, Oxford shirts, open up the collar a little bit, and I'm going to put on the jacket. So I'm going to look kind of casual, but yet still respectful. I remember going to church, and as soon as I got to church, uh, some of the older statesmen or, I, I don't know, elders, and uh, they looked at me, and they gave me the scornful look. 
like as if I committed the most uh, egregious sin ever. And I remember afterwards, uh, one of the older uh, person there who, I, I know they care for me, I know they, they love me, they pulled me over and they said, you know, uh, Monday through Saturday, it really doesn't matter what you wear, but on Sunday, you should wear a whole suit, not jeans. Jeans you cannot wear on Sunday. And I remember wrestling, struggling through with this. Is, is, is Christianity about wearing jeans or wearing a suit? And that really became something that I was wrestling through with just from that moment on about what is this true Christianity? Now, some of you are wear, you, you don't even wear jeans. You come in shorts sometimes during the summer. And so you, you're not saved, all right? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But is it really about how you look? And I think this is one of the major reasons why so many people are turned off from Christianity because we get so focused on the externals and the behavior and trying to modify our behavior that what we forget in the simple gospel is really what's going on inside our hearts. I share these stories because I think this kind of reminds us of this thought that I have. What is true freedom when it comes to our relationship with Christ? Now, the problem is that many of us think that freedom is our freedom to do whatever we want to do. And today, I'm going to ho hopefully help you to see that's not true freedom. Others of us, when we think about freedom, uh, we, we think about this negative thought, like we're not really free because we have to be like, we have to give everything to God. We have to submit ourselves to God. But when you really understand the gospel, the simple gospel, you realize that the King of kings and the Lord of lords who have ushered in this kingdom of God is inviting us to participate in something that is so supernatural. Not only will it transform your life, but it will really radically change how you live your life to make an impact in this world before you pass away. I want to show you this uh, a video, and right after this video, we're going to just kind of jump into a huddle group. But, you know, some of you have seen this before because it became really popular because this idea of Jesus is greater than religion. It's a spoken word, but I, there's some truths in there that I want you to listen and I know some of it is contextualized in an American context. But I want you to watch this video. I want you to listen to the spoken word and what he's trying to say. And trying to help us to understand there is a difference between religion and a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I'm wondering if some of us, as you're watching me today, that your walk with God, the gospel that you live by, is really a religion rather than a relationship with Jesus Christ. So let's watch this together, and we'll come back, and then I'm going to give us some instructions and then divide us up into our huddle group. Let's watch this together. Amen. I don't know about you, but it's pretty convicting as you think about our relationship with Jesus, and it's so different from the religion that not only the rest of the world, but for some of us who claim to be followers of Jesus, the way we live our lives. 
what we're going to do is we're going to break up into huddle groups, and I want to talk, I want to have you guys talk a little bit about some of the things that were said in the video. So here are two questions that I want us to talk about. Once again, you get to choose one of the questions in your huddle group, whatever is more relevant or whatever you want to share. The first one is this. What are some things that were said in the video that caught your attention or that you can affirm, things that kind of spoke to you? The second question is this, if you want to answer this one instead, and it's simply, why do some people feel more comfortable with rules in Christianity rather than the reign of Christ or Christ in that relationship that he has with us? So go ahead, and uh, the leaders can break you up into huddle groups. Uh, we'll see you in about six minutes, and then we'll come back and we'll get started in the sermon. Welcome back. We hope that you had a good time in your huddle group. Uh, once again, I know we could talk forever, but we want to just uh, get you thinking and starting to process some of the points that we're going to be making here. So I hope that this is such an important topic that I hope that even afterwards, especially this coming Tuesday or Wednesday in your life group, that you could talk a little bit more about some of the things that you guys were talking about before. So I want to go ahead and just jump into this passage. I think this is important for us uh, in Romans chapter 6. And I think one thing that we all have to kind of come to this conclusion and understand is that this Christian life, that if you make it all about the outward behavior, just doing the right things, doing all the do's and don'ts, if that's what you make Christian life all about, what's going to begin to happen is you're going to start losing your joy. Some of us, our motivation of trying to love God is going to start changing. And in fact, it's going to choke out any passion or just any desire to do things because God loved you and now you want to love God. And I think this is why we have to be careful about behavior modification when it comes to Christianity. The true change has to come from the inside as you understand the gospel more and then manifesting outside. Uh, I, I love what Philip Yancey said in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace?, and it's a wonderful book. If you ever want to read something, even just during the summer, it will transform the way you think about this gospel. He says this. He says, the solution to sin is not to impose an ever stricter code of behavior. It is simply what? To know God. What he's saying is that if you really want to experience more of God and see this radical transformation, it's not about adhering to more stricter codes and trying to do more things, but it's really simply about knowing who God is. The more you know God, the more you realize His heart, His heart for you, His heart for me, His heart for the world and what He desires. And when you begin to understand Him and you understand His heart, then everything else will flow out of that. Your actions, your behavior, the things that you do, the motivation is completely different. But many of us, especially living here in Asia, we, we go to the other side. Why? Because it's all about obedience to the law. If there's ever a group of people that I've met have a, such a fixed mindset, and it's all about memorizing things and just trying to get that score, it's here in Asia. Some of us, this is the reason why we struggle with critical thinking. This is the reason why we're put in a different situation. We don't know how to respond. And so what happens, it just feels safer and easier if we could just follow the rules. I'm not, I'm not promoting disobey every single rule. But that's where we find our comfort. That's where we find the sense of like, okay, I'm doing something right. 
and what God is looking for. Because you could do all the right things but have the bad hearts. That's the Pharisees. And who did Jesus have the worst criticism and who did he rebuke the most? It were all these religious people who did all the right things. But what they failed to see is what's in their hearts. And they're just as sinful. And they have not loved mercy to do justly and to walk humbly before God. So I want to challenge us as we think about this topic, as we are wrestling with sin in our lives, how can we learn to overcome and live in holiness that's not motivated by behavior modification or other things outside of us, but something that's deep within us because of what Christ has, have, has been doing and what he is doing and what he will continue to do as we understand the gospel more and more. So today, the one thing is simply this. God is working in us so that he can work through us. That God is working in us, inside, so that he can work through us, so that we can be available and be instruments of righteousness wherever he's calling us to be and calling us to do. That as he's working in us, that he could then work through us. So I'm going to talk about two specific things as we look at Romans chapter 6. The first thing is this, as we think about how God is working in us so that he can work through us. The first point is that we must be surrendered saints of God. That we have to be people who are surrendered to God and God alone. Now, as we put chapter 6 in context, we have to remember what he talked about in chapter 5. It's so important because they're linked in chapter 5, verse 9 through 10, the Apostle Paul argued that we are justified by what? Faith. Once again, it's not by works, but it's faith. And what he says is because we have been justified by faith, we are now delivered from God's wrath. To those of us who do not place our faith in Jesus Christ, you are going to incur the wrath of God in your life. This is the reason why people are pleading with you and we're praying for you and interceding for you because we don't want you to experience the wrath of God. But because you have sinned against God and I have sinned against God, the wrath of God is upon us. The only difference is to those who are believers in Jesus Christ and those who are not is that Jesus Christ shields us from this wrath, because when God looks at us, he looks us, he looks at us as saints, as sons and daughters, because of what Jesus did on his merit, not our own. But when he looks at those who are trusting in themselves and they're trusting in humanism, their own strength to try to earn something, the wrath of God, you have no shield, the wrath of God will be upon you. That's what he's arguing for in chapter 5 and even earlier. And then in chapter 5, verse 12 through 21, in this larger portion, we see that he says that we are no longer under the reign of death that comes by being in, in, in Adam because he has sinned. And because of that, then afterwards, every single person that was born into this world, we are sinful by nature. So what he's saying is that if you are in Adam, in sin then the sin will reign over you. But if you are a believer and you are in Christ, then Christ reigns over you. So here he is. This is what he's been arguing in, in this last chapter. And this is where there were probably some people who were thinking to themselves, well, if we are in Christ, then how does he deal with this sin that I still feel in my life? 
You have to understand that some of these people were Jewish. Some of them were Gentile believers. And so some of them were still struggling with legalism. Some of them were still struggling with their old life of living like a pagan. And so they're, they're thinking about this. Okay, okay if, if I'm delivered from God's wrath and then now I am in Christ and he reigns over me, then what do I do with the sin that I feel? What do I do with this desire that is not a holy desire, that's fleshly? Whether it's the lust or the greed or all these things that we wrestle with on a regular basis, self-centeredness, what do we do with that? And they were probably thinking, will it disrupt or interrupt this process of God working in us? And this is where Paul responds. So I'm going to mention two separate things as we talk about how we must be surrendered as saints of God. Because what he's saying is that sin, even though you feel it, cannot change your status with God. It might change your relationship with Him, but in terms of being a saint, a child of God, a son or a daughter, that will not change. So here are two things that I want to kind of highlight for us as we talk about being surrendered saints of God. The first thing is the identity in Christ. This idea of who we are, our identity in Christ, he mentions this. So let's go ahead and read verse 1 through 5. This is what the Word of God says. Hopefully you've turned to Romans chapter 6. You can read it or you could just, it's going to be on the screen so you can watch it there. This is what it says. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in sin? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Let's go ahead and pause here and just kind of expound this a little bit. People were thinking, okay, if there's more grace for us because there's so much sin, then why can't we keep on sinning? I mean, I, I think that's a legitimate, logical conclusion. More sin, more grace. Wow, we want more grace. So let's sin some more, and then more grace will abound. So what Paul is trying to say is, oh, hold it right there. So that's why he says, by no means. Now, some of you are thinking, what is that phrase, like by no means? It sounds like an old, archaic. So let me give you in some other translations so you know what he's trying to say. In the NLT, he says, of course not. Come on, dude. Okay, that's my translation. But like, of course not. Duh. I don't know how else you want to phrase it. But he's just simply saying, like, come on. Like, of course not. That's not, that's not what it is. The New American Standard Bible says, may it never be. May it never be. Here's another translation in the New King James. Certainly not. My goodness. Come on, dude. Come on, man. Certainly not. Here's another one. The voice translation. Absolutely not. Very clear. What Paul is simply saying is that when you experience grace, it is not a license to sin. If you have genuinely experienced the grace of God, like we're not talking about just head knowledge. You have genuinely experienced it. Something that you did not deserve, but it has been given to you. When you understand that feeling, what he's saying is that it will completely change in how you view life. I want to challenge us to think about 
the time that you've experienced grace? Has there been a time where you made a mistake and it was costly for not only for you, but for your company, for other people, for that life group, whatever it may be? And instead of incurring the wrath of the people and anger of the people, they just said, you know, we're human, we make mistakes, we drop things, we make noise, do all that other stuff, but, you know, the grace of God. And you're like, oh, I don't deserve this. Because, yeah, I, I screwed up, but God loves me. Or you just know that you're late for something and that all the train comes exactly when you go on the bottom of the MTR. That's the grace of God. I believe so. Just little things in your daily life. You don't have to go very far, but you realize there are so many things you don't deserve, but you've received. What happens to us? When you know that you don't deserve it, you're humbled. You're grateful. And the thought is, God, like, you're too good. I don't deserve this. Some of us, if you feel entitled, you're like, well, finally. Yeah, that should have happened earlier. But if you really know the gospel, and part of that is entailing and understanding the, uh, the grace of God, you realize how much you don't deserve it. And that becomes the motivation in how you live your life. So of course not, you don't sin more because grace abounds. In fact, when you know grace and experience grace in your life, the grace of God, and you experience this grace, you will sin less or you will want to sin less. That, that's the beauty of this gospel. Is that when you are in a relationship with someone that you care about, you don't want to keep on hurting them. When you begin to experience how much God loves you and you are in this relationship through Jesus Christ, you don't want to do things that are hurting God or are the things that are not of His heart. That's just a natural reaction. In fact, I will go as far as to say this. And I'm not trying to question if some of you are saved or not. I'm just simply saying from experience that the more you fall in love with Jesus, the more you get to know Him, the less that you want to hurt Him or ruin the witness. And so you're going to do everything possible to sin less. Now, once again, not in your own strength, but there will be that desire. I would say some of you who might think you're saved because you said that prayer when you were in third grade or whatever it is, but there has been no change of desire in you, then I would like to just challenge you that maybe you haven't deeply experienced the grace of God or you have a false sense of security in your salvation. It's not just saying a prayer, but it's really being able to experience God and then through that comes forth things that we do or we don't do because we love, we love God. It's interesting that he mentions about baptism in the first five verses here. And he talks about the importance of it and why we must believe in it. Because when you look at verse 3 and 5, we see that it says what? We died to ourselves. We were buried in our sin. And then he talks about how we have now been raised to have this new life in Christ. 
This is baptism, and that's why baptism is so important. It literally is a profession of our faith and who it is that we're trusting. So when we share our testimony in baptism, we're talking about who God is, what he has done in my life. And then by actually going into the water, as I've shared many times before, if you've been into any of the baptism services that we have, the baptism celebration, the water represents the blood of Christ. And here you are in this water, and then you are dunked in this water which means you are now dying to your old self and then you are now going under which means you are buried in your sin and then the water the blood of Jesus Christ is cleansing you purifying you making you holy make you into a saint of God a saint means just to be holy you are the holy ones and then you come up out of the water which is what the resurrection, just as Jesus rose from the dead, now you and I, if we've been baptized, we are identifying ourselves with Jesus Christ, that he rose again from the dead. Now we resurrect from our old life into this new life that is found in Jesus Christ. And it's interesting that as he's talking about sin, he reminds us of our identity once again, who we are. Change this kind of Spiritual transformation does not come from our own strength or power. What he's simply saying is that it is a supernatural work of God where God convicts you of your sin. You receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You, you then take the invitation to be part of the kingdom of God. Now as you have redeemed, we are now called to restore all things. And so when you get baptized, you are saying, no longer will I live, but Christ lives in me. And as you resurrect from that, your old life to this new life, now your whole desires, your goals, even your dreams, everything about you has to change. As many of you know, I, I interact with a lot of college students. And even as I'm helping out with a life group for the single adults and even families, one of the things that I see oftentimes is that we use God. Instead of allowing God to use us, we use God. So bottom line is you are greedy and you're, 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 you are consumed with success. So how do we use God? We say, well, I, I'm going to take this internship. I'm going to take this job. I'm going to do this and I'm going to put extra hours. Why? Well, I'm gonna, it's all for the Lord. But is it Really? You're just using God now to mask your self-centeredness and your own dreams. I hear this all the time. Well, God called us to be students and be good at school. Oh, yeah, of course. But some of you, your studies, it's your God. Because it's related to your identity and your idea of what it means to be approved by people. Because you have a certain GPA. Or you have all these jobs lined up for you. So you mask your self-centeredness and your own greed and lust for power and for success by using all these Christian terms that no one's going to argue with you. Who can argue with you when like, I want to try to be a good witness. Oh, uh, no, I don't think you should be a good witness. Of course not. And you're not open to accountability. You're not open to other people discipling you to tell you, hey, dude, even though you're trying to be a good witness, I think deep inside it's really for yourself. That's why you're putting all these hours into work. This is the reason why you could push God aside and you're chasing after this. 
I hear this all the time. I, oh, I hate my work. Then I always tell them, quit. Come on, pastor. Who else is going to tithe? Uh, I don't know if you're tithing or not, but like, come, come on. Why are you telling me to quit? Well, if you hate it that much and your mindset is not changing, then what other options do you have? In the same way, people are like, oh, my God, I'm, I'm putting all this time in my study. Then I would say, then, then don't put so much time in your studies. Why do you need an A? Would it not be better to get a B plus, to be able to love people, to love God, to spend time with others, and to bless them, and get a B plus? than getting an A and then you don't love God, you don't love people, you're selfish, you play video games all day and you do all these things that don't really honor God in many ways and then you're here, you are complaining. Man, I'm coming strong this morning. I don't know, that coffee, that's a, they had some extra shot in there. I don't know how it is in your room where you're watching, but it's quiet now. We use God to hide and to mask our own selfish, manipulative purposes. And here we are wondering to ourselves, why are we still struggling? When you understand this idea of symbolic gesture of baptism, that should really epitomize what our life is about. We die to ourselves. It's not about us. Let God cleanse you, purify you, make you holy. And then come out of that and you realize you have a newness of life. You, you, your dreams are different. Your goals are different. The things that you pursue after is different. There are some of us who are watching, you have not been baptized. And to you, I would say, why not? I want to encourage you, in about several months, we're going to offer a baptism class. And we're going to try to have a baptism towards that Easter. And hopefully we can do it in public, outside somewhere. We like to do it in the ocean uh, or the South China Sea around there. And we, we, want, we want to baptize you. And you're just pretty much saying, I'm dying to myself, and then I receive Jesus, I'm the Lord and Savior. He cleanses me, purifies me, and then I resurrect from the dead in my old self into this new life, and now I live for Jesus Christ. I remember one pastor sharing with me that uh, he was doing a baptism, and this person brought in his wallet. And the pastor's like, oh, what are you doing? You just have to bring your, you know, and he says, no, because I'm, I'm baptizing even my wallet. So everything that I do is for the glory of God. So he, it will die to itself and the own selfishness, and it's going to come out, and it's going to be used of God. I mean, th when I thought about it, I'm like, th th it makes a lot of sense. Can you imagine every baptism we have? Here's my video console, my video game console, Pastor. Here's my laptop. Here's my phone. Dunk it. It's okay, it's an iPhone. So it's water resistant for three meters. I want to encourage you, if you haven't been baptized, to be baptized. Make a public declaration of your inward faith and what God has been doing in your life. 
Some of you will, I've been baptized when I was a child. I don't know why I'm talking like that. Well, anyway, I've been baptized when I, I was a child. Well, how old were you? I think I was about a month old. Like, are you like professing Jesus as your Lord and Savior? You, you, you had no clue what you were doing. But now you have come to a time of age where you do understand your sinfulness. You do understand who Jesus Christ is and what he has done. So don't just rely upon a baby baptism. But when we look at Scripture, it says that those who profess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, they were baptized. So if you now believe in that, who Jesus is, what he has done, then get baptized. So you can maybe make a public declaration of your faith. So not only our identity. So here we are, we're, we're talking about how we must be surrendered as saints of God, because he has made us holy, not because of what we have done, but because of what Jesus has done. And so as we wrestle with sin, one of the first things we got to be able to establish is our identity in Christ. We identify with him. He died, was buried, rose again. That's us. That's why we are believers in Jesus Christ. The next thing that we see is not only the identity in Christ, but the impact of Christ. The impact of Christ that he has made in our lives. Let's read verse 6 through 14. It's a longer passage here, but I want you to just follow along as best as you can. This is what he says. Verse 6 through 14. He says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let no sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obedient, obey its passions. Do not present your bodies to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Now, this is important. I'm going to first jump down to verse 11. Will you look at verse 11 again? You will see this key verse in verse 11, and the word is consider. Do you see that word, consider? In the original language, the word consider means to count or to reckon or to impute. Now, these are all theological words, but you need to understand because we see this in the word in the Bible here. It says to consider, but when you study this word, it means to count or to reckon or to impute. We talked about imputation some chapters back. Now, to help us to remember the word impute, as we saw earlier in Romans, in the book of Romans, it simply means what? To take into account or to calculate or to estimate. So when Paul says to consider or to count or to take into account, to calculate, to estimate, what he's simply saying is to put it into another person's account. It's not what you do, 
but it has been given to you. So why is it important? So this idea of considering, this idea of reckoning, this idea of imputing, what Paul is trying to say is that it is this idea of believing in something as true. Now, I want that to sit for a little bit. When Paul says to consider or to impute or it has been reckoned, what he's simply saying is, I want you to what? Believe in something as true. That's why there's this element when it comes to considering or imputing or reckoning, there's this element of knowing and believing. It's hard to believe in something if you don't know. And until you know and you believe it as true, then you will start what? Believing in it. That's why the word know that we see here in verse 6 is talking about an experiential and a reflective type of know. You, you've experienced it. I know this. And there are a lot of things that we know. Some of us know that organic chemistry is hard because you heard from other people and you're an English major. So you know, but you don't know. You talk to some of the engineers and they're like, oh, I know. It's hard. That's the difference. Is that you know sometimes just by information, but you know sometimes from experience. So what he's saying is that it is partly knowing from experience, <clears throat> excuse me, and then believing. That's why when we look at verse 6 through 10, <clears throat> all these things that we know and then we ought to believe is something that we are challenged with. That's why I'm talking about the impact of what Jesus Christ has done. I'm going to read verse 6 through 11 in the Amplified Version so that it will help us to know as well as to believe. Listen to what it says. It says this. We know, here's that word, that our old self, our human nature without the Holy Spirit, was nailed to the cross with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For the person who has died with Christ has been freed from the power of sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe, now here's that word, believe that we will also live together with him. Because we know, here's that word again, we know the self-evident truth that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has power over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin, ending his power and paying the sinner's debt once and for all, and the life that he lives, he lives to glorify God in unbroken fellowship with him. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin and in your relationship to, to it broken, but alive to God in unbroken fellowship with him in Christ Jesus. I'm going to highlight one thing so that you understand what Paul is trying to argue for. I said earlier in verse 6 that this no is this experiential knowing by experience. But if you look at verse 9, we see the word no again, but it doesn't differentiate. But in the Amplified, it does. 
When you look at verse 9, it's different from verse 6 with the word to know. Because in the original language, there's so many different meanings of one word. This time, when you see the word to know in verse uh, 9, it is what we call this intuitive knowledge. Something that is perceived as self-evident truth. Like for instance, gravity. Like it's intuitive. You understand that if you drop something, it will fall. If you jump off something, you could hurt yourself. This idea of gravity is something that you don't see in the sense of gravity itself, but you see the effects of gravity. And so what Paul is saying is, you know, but then now he's using that same word in verse 9 as to know as self-evident truth. Now, I'm going to put this all together. Some of you are like, huh? What is he saying? Now, some of you are just waking up. Now, listen carefully. You need to understand this to understand being surrendered as saints of God. What Paul is trying to argue is that we have to understand and consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. What he's simply saying is this. Unless you know this intuitively, and until you know this in your head as a knowledge, and then believing in it, you will struggle with sin and it will defeat you. Uh, it's it's kind of interesting because uh, in this rapid changing world, I think one of the phenomenons that happened in the 2000s, and we're in 2022 already, was that there were many countries that were maybe second tier countries, but all of a sudden they're finding success and uh, growth in their um, economy. And so there are a lot of people who are now, who were poor or impoverished. Now they're moving up to middle class. Middle class people were trying to move up to the upper class. And it was interesting, and I'm not going to name any countries in particular, but you see this all the time in many different places. Is that here you are, you have a farmer in this particular country. And so all their lives they were living as farmers, and they would go from season to season, just to know if they have enough or not. And in many ways, when you see people who live in a very rural area, it's completely different from how they will live in the city. It's a different mindset. And that's kind of how it is for some of us. You grew up in a certain kind of background and environment. And so some of these people who grew up in the rural area, they've always had this poverty mindset. We might not have enough to eat. And so the way they did certain things was really a condition of their environment. How they lived, the things that they did. But all of a sudden, they sell their land, and now they're millionaires. I don't know if you know any of some of you are like, that's me. But anyway, they sell their land, and now they're millionaires. So with all this money, what do they do? It's Gucci everything, right? Louis Vuitton everything. To the point where it's like really almost borderline gaudy. It's like, whoa. So what happens is that here's a person who wasn't very wealthy, and all of a sudden they became wealthy. But the problem is they're still living as if they're not wealthy, and you can't get out of that mindset. And so here they are now with this money. They don't know how to live, and they almost go to the other extreme. And that's why 
sometimes it, you, you see this often, is that you know who are the rich people because they don't even look like they're rich. You guys know what I'm talking about? Unless you go to Google Earth and then you look at that house and like, whoa, you know, all that kind of stuff, right? But you, you don't even know if they're wealthy or not. It's just like they kind of keep everything on the down low. But oftentimes those people who are flaunting it usually are the ones who are not really wealthy or they're spending money that they got from selling their homes or land. And here they are, don't know how to use it. Now some of you are thinking, okay, he's picking on certain... No, it is only in almost every culture. Now this is the point I'm trying to make. Even though you have a change in status, a lot of times we could still have the mindset and also the behavior of someone who's in the old nature. Are you with me? Even though you know that Jesus Christ has died for you, even though that it has changed your position with him and in dealing with sin, you still live in the old nature. That's what Paul is trying to argue here. You've died to sin, but you are made alive in Christ. And he uses baptism to try to help us to illustrate this. But the problem is, if we're honest here this morning, all of us, we still struggle with sin. And the thought of Jesus dying on the cross because he loves us, we cannot accept it. When God says, I will provide for you, it's hard to believe it. And so what do we do? We go back to our old self, the way we live our lives, so we don't trust Him. We try to take things into our own control, and that's how we live our lives. And here is Paul saying that you've died to sin, and now you are alive in Christ. And if you continue to live the way you used to live, then you're going to wrestle with the sin, and it's going to kill you. The sin, the crushing weight of sin will destroy you. This is the reason why I feel like if you haven't really understood not only knowing but believing in who you are in Christ, in your new identity, either I would say you will probably uh, feel guilty and run away and give up. This is too hard. Or you will try to live a life, but then you realize you can't. So guess what you'll do? You'll be a hypocrite or you will live a double life. I've seen this all the time. I've seen it in my life. I've seen it in so many other people. And it's hard to live that double life. And after a while, you will probably give up. And you'll start drifting away. That's why in verse 12 through 14, we see that it's going to, here's Paul. He's going to introduce the next section, and he's going to talk about yielding ourselves now to Christ and his reign over us. That's why in verse 13, Paul uses the phrase, presenting ourselves to God. It, it, it's being able to surrender ourselves and say, God, here I am. It reminds us of Romans chapter 12. Later on, we'll see this. It says, in view of all of God's mercy, to offer, present yourself as a living sacrifice. That's why even in verse 14, Paul says that sin will not have dominion over us. How about us this morning? I know there's a lot of like deep stuff here and maybe some of you are not fully understanding, but I'm, I'm believing by faith the Holy Spirit will speak to you. But I want us to just let us settle for a little bit because the key thing that I want you to take away is that a lot of us don't know our identity in Christ. Oh, we know it, but we don't know it by experience. And I think this is the reason why Satan has always a stronghold in your life, that you fail to know and to believe who you are in Christ. And what he has done for you, it's not impacting your life. 
That's why you're not willing to surrender your life as a child of God to Him. See, unless we allow God to work in us, He's not going to be able to work through us because we're already closed. So I'm going to just take a quick break here and give you about, maybe, let's make it five minutes because we're going to finish this off on time. But in the next five minutes, I want you to get into huddle groups again. Here are the two questions I want you to think about. The first one is this. When it comes to our struggle with sin, why is it hard to remind yourself about your identity in Christ and what he has done for you? So just share about, as you think about your struggle with sin, why is it so hard to really live it out when you already know it? Here's a sec- uh, another question. You could choose either one of these questions. The second question is this. What is it about the gospel that is hard for you to believe? Especially when you look at your life and your struggle with sin. So you could answer. They're pretty much like the same thing but coming from different angles. Go ahead and pick a question and then talk about it. We'll bring you back in five minutes and then we'll finish off. God is working in us so that he can work through us. We talked about being surrendered as saints of God. I want to talk now, secondly, is that we must be submitted as servants of God, being submitted to Him willingly and wanting Him to reign in our lives. Let me go ahead and read verse 15 through 23, the last portion of this uh, chapter. It says this, What then are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness." I'm speaking in, ter- in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you were once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members to, as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at time from the thing of which you were now ashamed? For the end of those things is near. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit that you, that you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The Apostle Paul once again asked this question where he's simply saying is what then? Should we keep on sinning because the grace is now we're under this grace? He's asking it again, and the same response, of course not, absolutely not, by no means. And what people are forgetting is that genuine freedom is not freedom to sin, but it's freedom from sin. That's the key thing that you got to realize, that True freedom that Jesus Christ offers us now because we have died to ourselves, resurrected in in Christ, that our true freedom is not so that we can sin, but it's from sinning so that we can experience more of who God is. Now, he brings up this issue of slavery. Now, this is important. I need to make this clear. He is not, the Apostle Paul is not endorsing slavery. Slavery is evil. Slavery is wrong. We still see right now there's slavery all over the world that's going on. 
And so what Paul is trying to help us to understand is during this time in the Roman Empire, there were close to over a hundred some million people and during this time. And half of the population, almost half, they were all in some kind of uh, this category, a legal status category of a slave. Now, as soon as we think of a slave, we think about like a lot of context of where we've been exposed to. That's why it is evil. It is wrong. And so you need to understand during this time, slavery, you, were, you became a slave because through war, so they would then capture you and you will be the slave. And we know very well that that's, that's wrong. But one of the things that you don't understand, and this is something I had to kind of understand over the years, is that there is this in, in um, a slavery where there's a voluntary to say, I'm going to come under your house and serve you. And that becomes their ways of living in terms of housing and food. And so there are people who willingly put themselves in a situation where they are now serving that household. And so the point that Paul is trying to make, and he says, I'm doing this because of the limited understanding, because of human limitations. He's trying to use an illustration that they all understood during the Roman Empire. And what he's simply saying is that we are, all of us are enslaved to things. We have a master. That's what he's trying to emphasize. We are all serving someone or something. And so it's either imposed on us or it is invited by us. We're saying, hey, I want you to, I want you to rule over my life. And a lot of us, when we think about grades, work, success, your dream house, all that stuff. It, it seems awkward when you're like, hey, why don't you come into my life and control me? But in many ways, that's what some of us are doing. So what Paul is emphasizing is simply true freedom in Christ. It's not constantly falling back into this old life, but it's literally when you fall down, you're moving forward now towards Christ. Can I ask you how many of you, when you make a mistake or when you sin, you struggle with the same thing. We go through the cycle of feeling bad, and then we ask God for forgiveness. We'll never do it again. And then we go through the cycle again and again. And there is grace and forgiveness. It's unlimited. You cannot stop it. But as I shared earlier, as Paul was arguing, for some of us, then we're going to have to pause and really ask ourselves, have the grace of God internally changed us so that we don't want to sin? So here he is saying that we are all slaves to something. And the question is, what are you enslaved to? Or to whom are you enslaved to? And so I was thinking about this and I was thinking, man, all of us are guilty. For some of us, we're a slave to our studies. This is the reason why you get very anxious. This is the reason why some of us, we get overwhelmed. Some of us are tempted to cheat. It, 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 it is your master. Your GPA rules you. That you can't even come out to life group or you cannot even sacrifice to help other people because you are now obeying the God of your studies. And it's evident in your life. Everyone sees it but you. You're tense. You're anxious. Every single time midterms comes, final comes, you're, you're MIA, missing in action. No one knows where you are because you are submitting yourself under that God. For some of us, it's work. And that's why some of us are alcohol, not alcohol, well, maybe alcoholic because it leads to a lot of the stress. But you are a workaholic. And so what does this do? It sacrifices what? Other things you can do, your relationship with people, family, whatever it may be. 
because that is your God. You have been enslaved to it because you find your identity in what you do instead of who you are in Jesus Christ. For some of us, it is a codependent relationship. That's your God. There is somebody in your life that you are so dependent on, and it shows because why? You have such a great need for their approval. So no longer God's approval is enough, but you have to find approval from that person that you are so dependent on that you worship. You are enslaved to that person. No wonder you haven't been growing. No wonder you're constantly struggling with those sin areas of your life. And then we look and we realize even just success, that it consumes us. That's why we're fatigued. That's why we're exhausted. Some of you are putting all these hours into all this stuff. Why? Because your God is success or security. Some of us, is approval. That's why you get crushed when they don't approve of you or when they criticize you. Think about some of the other things, whether it's money. That's why we keep on trying to make more. Nothing is satisfying. We need to make more. As soon as you get the amount that you want, you want more. Rarely have I found somebody who is enslaved to money and to success and to their greed where they will ever be satisfied. As soon as they reach a certain amount, they want more. That's why they apply for a job, get that job, even though they don't like it, but it pays more. So they stay there for a little bit and they realize, you know what, I'm getting tired of this. So they're going to look for another job that pays more. They will never be satisfied. Control. When you think about even control, that becomes our God. Because why? We're always wanting to make sure that whatever it is that we fear, that we can control that. Safety is another one. Some of you are so afraid, and it's all about being safe. But you don't know if you walk out, you might get hit by a car. You could be as safe as possible, but you can get hit by a car. A drunk driver, a bus that you're sitting on and it rolls over and you die. You have no control over that. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I think it is important that we stay safe, especially in this COVID situation. And I'm at a point where, can we really get zero cases ever? And now I'm wondering, is there a conspiracy going on? I mean... (laughs) When I look at how we were able to control this COVID situation, 200 some, I forgot how much it was, 219 some deaths compared to like almost, we were reaching millions in the states. I think Hong Kong government had did, a good, did a good job. But where do you draw the line where you said, okay, now we got to be able to live with it and just do our best to social distance and whatever, but open up the businesses, open up the different things so we can go on with life. Because what I'm seeing is a whole generation of young people who are struggling with emotional and mental health because they're isolated. You are risking a whole generation of people that we're going to have to have a lot of services and to help them go through these things when they're a little bit older in their 20s and 30s. Some of you are so consumed with safety And your life is not in your control. It's in God's control. I've seen people eating healthy, exercising, and then they die early. I've seen people eating McDonald's every single day. They smoke, they drink, and they're living forever. I'm like, what is going on, God? Punish them. Do something. Why does that person have to die? They're running marathons. They're doing all the stuff. I don't know. So once again, for some of us, it is an issue of control. 
and you are not in control. God is. That's why this Christian life is about faith. It's about trust. Whole different sermon. Let me, let me just finish off here. Verse 22. You see the word sanctification? I see it. I don't know if you see it. But the word sanctify means to be set apart, being special for God's use. And we can only get to this point when we are completely submitted to God. It's not my life, Lord. I am your servant. Use me as instruments of righteousness, not of unrighteousness. Help me to die to myself in these areas of sin. I cannot do it by myself, but help me so I can live for you. Let me just go ahead and close out. The one thing as we shared earlier, God is working in us so that he can work through us. Can I give us some quick next steps? First of all, grow in your relationship with Jesus. Grow in your relationship with Jesus rather than in rules. Don't make it about rules. Even though obeying all these commandments are important, but that's not the point. It's about your relationship with Jesus. And when you grow in that, then you're going to want to obey. So make it about Jesus. Spend time with Jesus. Walk with Jesus. Talk with Jesus. Enjoy His presence. If you're ever sitting by yourself, just acknowledge that He's with you, right by you. Growing your relationship with Jesus rather than rules. The second thing is this. Get a hold of God's truth rather than the lies of Satan. Hold on to His truth. It's not just knowing in your head, but it's believing. So get a hold of God's truth rather than these lies that Satan will speak to you about. And the third and last thing is this. Give yourself fully to God rather than the things of this world. Fully surrender. Fully submit. Don't be submitted to other idols and other gods. Don't be a slave to those things. But be a slave as a servant to God. Since much time has gone by, I'm going to just invite the band and we're going we're gonna to close out here I, I want to speak from, uh, from my heart I, I want to speak to you when I think about the Christian life and now I've been a Christian for uh, over 30 some years close to almost 40 years one of the things that I'm realizing more and more is that this work of sanctification which means to be made holy set apart for God's special use. It doesn't come overnight. Many of you are young. You haven't gone through a death of a loved one. Some of you have, but most of you have not. Some of you have not experienced too much heartaches in your life. Some of you haven't experienced even tragedy and things that are outside of your control. I'm telling you right now, those times are going to come. You could try to be safe as possible. You could try to control your life as much as possible. But this is a fallen world where there's sin in this world. There's disease in this world. There's going to be so many things that you're not in control of. And all I can share with you is this, that if you try to live on your own strength and power through the things that you're going to face, we're going to fall short. And this is where the gospel comes in powerfully. 
that we can't save ourselves. We're not in control. But we have this God who is so awesome and so amazing and so huge, way bigger than us. Not only did He love you, but He wanted to transform. He wanted to transform your view of yourself, your view of God, and your view of the world and where your destiny will be. And some of you right now are standing there wherever you are or sitting there and you're thinking to yourself, there's things in my life, there's sin in my life, even though I'm a believer and I'm wrestling through with this and I don't know what to do. Can I offer you what we see in Scripture, this free gift? For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is what? Eternal life in Christ Jesus. It is in Christ Jesus. It's a free gift. All you have to do is to receive it because you know it and now you want to believe in it as it is true. And you take it in and you appropriate it into your life and says, I'm going to die to myself because I'm tired of living for myself. I'm going I'm to be buried in my sin. And through the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I am going to be raised into a new life in Christ. That's what He wants to do in you. If you would just humble yourself and offer yourself to Him. That moment that happens in your life for the first time, your life, you will see things in, your whole life you've been seeing black and white, your life will now, you'll, it'll be full color, HD, 4K. You will see things so clearly. You'll see yourself sinful, but yet so loved by God. You'll see how holy He is and how unholy you are. You'll see how unlovable you may be, but you'll see how much God loves you. And in that process, as you fall in love with Jesus more, you're going to want to hate sin more. That should motivate us. Not because of what other people will think, not because of a position that we have. It's because He first loved us. That should cause us to say no to sin. But this is the beautiful part, that even when you try to live for God and you fail, there's enough grace, unlimited grace, so that if you humble yourself and repent, you can walk in the fullness of Christ. I'm just praying that you will experience this gospel. Some of you could do it for the first time. You just simply say that prayer. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I believe and I know now that you died on the cross for my sins so that I could have eternal life. For some of us who are believers, maybe we just need to repent and come back to who we are in Christ, the impact that he has made. And that will cause us to submit ourselves as servants of God, to say, God, as you're working in me, start working through me to be a blessing to others around us. So, Father, I just pray right now in the name of Jesus that you will work in our hearts right now Lord to every person who is hearing my sound of my voice I'm praying that you will come and you will touch their lives there are areas of sin there's areas of strongholds and bondage addictions whatever it may be Lord I pray that you will set us free by your grace change us from the inside out Lord only you can do it as we trust in you and believe that you will do it as we wrestle with sin as we live try to live in holiness 
apart from you, we can't do it. But with you, all things are possible. So work in us so that you can work through us. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.